welcome to No Silly Questions, an education podcast for parents with your hosts, Danielle Freilich and Jordana Fruchter, two New York City educators, school leaders, and friends. Over the years, we've received every question in the book from parents trying to understand the landscape of learning, development, and education. On this podcast, we bring you relatable, research-based answers from experts in the field. You'll hear from pediatric neuropsychologists, elected school officials, ed tech entrepreneurs, play advocates, professors of multiple intelligence theory, and more to bridge the gap of information and strengthen your parent toolkit. We want all parents to know that there is no such thing as a silly question. The single most consistent item in my refrigerator, other than cheese sticks for my children, is cold brew. And there's nothing that can get me ready for a day of work, kids, and everything in between, quite like Wandering Bear. Wandering Bear is fresh cold brew on tap, and the way it's designed to be served really makes me feel like I'm in a fancy coffee shop in my own kitchen. They have six different flavors to choose from, including straight black, vanilla, caramel, mocha, hazelnut, and even decaf. My personal favorite is vanilla because I like a creamier taste, but every flavor is smooth, strong, and delicious. What I love about Wandering Bear is the quality and the ingredients. It's all organic, all sugar-free, and all dairy-free. They truly make life so easy with subscriptions, so I never run out of coffee. And it's a way better price point than going to the coffee shop every day. Whether I'm walking my dog Polly or gearing up for a presentation or researching the next guest to bring on our podcast, Wandering Bear brings that extra boost to my day. If you love cold brew, this is your chance to indulge. Get 20% off your order with code SILLY20 at wanderingbear.com. Again, that's 20% off your order with code SILLY20 at wanderingbear.com. Today's no silly question is, is a cardboard box better than a Lego set? Is it just us, or are you also seeing on your social media feed a trend where everyday materials are being used for play? Well, there's actually a formal name for these materials. They're called loose parts. And our guest today, Miriam Beloglavsky, is here to help us understand their value. Today, we welcome Miriam Beloglavsky to the podcast. Miriam is a professor of early childhood education, a sought-after public speaker, CEO of Playful Transformation, and an author. Her goal is to engage, inspire, and motivate audiences worldwide to explore the power of play and embrace play as a vehicle that transforms their life. Miriam, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. So Miriam, we want to begin with just, you know, a basic definition so that we can then, you know, build upon it from there. What is a loose part? And how did this term come to be? Interesting. Well, uh, the original term was actually coined by the, the discovery schools in the 1950s. So Jerome Bruner had a lot to do with it. Then architect Simon Nicholson sort of coined the term loose parts. And that was around 1971. And what he talks about is the the number of combinations of items and objects and media that you put together increases the possibilities of discovery for young children. 
So the way I see loose parts, they're unpredictable. They're objects that can be manipulated and changed in any way a child desires. And there's this whole controversy that always happens around loose parts where people are taking them and using them for activities. Well, in that moment, the action is not taken from the, by the adults to create an activity instead of giving children the power over the objects. So one of the most important things and concepts around loose parts is this idea that it gives children, children are in charge of the object, not the object in charge of the child. And what we focus on is the action, not the object itself. So when you follow the action, you really begin to see the incredible power that children have to be creative, to be innovative, and to really make decisions on their own where they integrate critical thinking and inquiry. So loose parts, just in a small summary, they are unpredictable. They are not open-ended because it may be that a child actually has an open-end in mind, but it is brought in by the child. And it also offers multiple affordances. And this is where James Gibson, another psychologist, brought in this idea of affordances. And affordances basically means that a child can take a box And that box can be a cave, can be a car, can be a basket to fly, a basket to hold things. So the affordances are multiplied by the instincts that the child have in the ways that they use the objects. Interesting. And Miriam, just to make things more concrete, can you give us some examples of what a loose part is? How is a loose part similar or different from... you know, a a recycled material, um, how is it similar or different from the concept of open-ended materials? Right. If you can break that down for us a little bit further with some examples. I I personally don't like to start with a list because I think people focus again on the object. So a loose part can be something as simple as a button. And My mother was a big collector of buttons, so she always had all these wonderful buttons around. And I think buttons can be used in such a variety of ways, and it gives children this control over what they do with it. That's why I don't call them open-ended materials. I call them unpredictable, because children can do whatever they want to do with the object. They may end up making it this incredible ephemeral art or art that can then be changed, can be recycled, can be moved around. Um, Loose parts are mostly upcycled in other ways. In other words, you use the same item in multiple ways. When you're recycling, is you're sort of taking one item and deconstructing it and making it be something else. I also always... Tell people that if you use glue or tape with a loose part, it's no longer loose part. So it takes away the looseness of the loose part. But I I want people to be creative. I want people to walk around and find this incredible item and look at it from an affordance perspective. How can this item be used? Not how the child will use it, because we don't know that. But what affordances that the object has? Can it be used in construction? Can it be used in dramatic play? Can it be used in art? Can it be used in uh, 
cooking can be used in different ways. And that's how I go along uh, curating loose parts. So rather than me giving you a list, I would like people to get really creative in finding items that provide for this incredible discovery for children. And, you know, something that I think about or that parents might be thinking about is obviously there are so many different directions to go with this and so many possibilities because there are a lot of things that can be loose parts. But when this is new to you and you're thinking about how to get started or, you know, how to even take the first step, what's the best piece of advice that you have for parents? Start in a scavenger hunt within your house. Look what you have in your drawers. I remember my children when they were little, I had a, uh, a drawer. It was actually like a cabinet in the kitchen where they can open the doors and there would be all these uh, plastic containers that they could play with. And they used them to build towers. They used them to dramatic play. Sometimes they became ponds. They would bring water into them. So start with your house. What do you already have available around? I love, for instance, using paper cups and paper plates. Those to me are one of the most wonderful ways to really engage children in construction. And it may be that they'll end up doing something else. You know, I've seen children, I think this is, and I don't know if I should say this, but this is to me the beginning of beer pong. I think children started sort of throwing <laughs> balls into little cups and an adult saw that and said, or a teenager saw that and said, oh, beer pong. So there's so many possibilities. I'm always on the look. I can go into a store and I'll find something like, um, can I mention the name of a store or you prefer yeah, not to? Yeah, sure, go Okay, for so it. let's say Ikea. I walk in Ikea. To me, Ikea is like one of the biggest places for me to find loose parts. I look at the corners, Great you know, the, the, the corners that protect their, their uh, dishes, but as they're selling them, those make great ramps. Then I look for the rings that they put inside the, the plates to protect each plate. So I just walk around. I mean, literally I go to stores just to look for loose parts because there's some that are just amazing. I go to some construction areas and people have seen me pick up washers and knots and bolts that are just disposed and I put them in my pocket. I'm like a child transporting all these uh, things that I'm discovering. I go on nature walks and I'm always finding incredible new nature like pine cones of different types different sizes and I always bring a bag so for families when they go out on walks bring a bag so that children as they're finding rocks and stones they can start putting them in there it's almost like you want children to collect the items and then think about how they're going to use those items even doing, like I said, a scavenger hunt around your house, you know, areas that maybe that drawer that you've never cleaned, you know, the one you throw everything in, maybe take it out and see what's in there that can be used in many different ways for children to play with. Sort of going back to your own childhood, when you played, I mean, I grew up playing in the outside, I know that doesn't happen as much. But we may do with what we find. Right. And I think that is what is so comforting and provides relief. It, it feels like a return to innocence, actually, a return yeah. to a simpler time. And obviously, the irony is that all these technologies and products have been developed thinking that it would sort of 
you know, increase our IQ, our EQ, our cognitive capacity, our social capacity, you know, but potentially it's actually taken us in a different direction. So that's what we want to shift to next, right? I think that the value proposition for loose parts is immediately evident and obvious for parents, right? They're like, wait, so you're telling me I I don't have to go to the store and I don't have to take out my wallet and, and spend any money. I can use the, you know, bowls in my kitchen cabinet and the the dustpan and vacuum in my closet. So I think that that's very compelling. But I would love, since you know, you've really devoted your, your study here, you know, help us understand what those cognitive and social benefits are beyond just the cost benefit to parents. Right. So in order for children to truly learn something, they need to take a physical risk, an emotional risk, a social risk, and a cognitive risk. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about loose parts, because now you have an object and you're in charge of this object and you can make decisions and choices as to how you're going to put it together. What are you going to combine it with? Uh, There may be toys that you can bring out and combine them with the loose parts to expand the possibilities of discovery. But intellectually, children begin to really make choices and begin to make decisions they really begin to delve deep into inquiry. So when you think about when you're building a tower, and let's just go back to the paper plates and the cups, they're needing to think about the weight. They're needing to think about the gravity that is pulling the the different uh, plates and cups down. They need to really start thinking about mathematically how many do they need. All of these are risks that really strengthen children's thinking. And Studies have shown that through play and when children are playing in a way that they're in control of their environment, which is what happens with loose parts, their frontal lobe of their brain begins to function at a higher level. So that's where the executive function comes in, where they begin to make decisions. So socially, they're taking that risk. And if they have the opportunity to play with other children, the other thing that I have noticed in all the work that I've done there is sort of almost like less need to fight over an item because there's such multiplicity of items that they can select with. And when you have a loose part and you have multiples of the same loose part, that need to sort of fight and take control over the one toy goes away. So socially it increases the possibilities of collaboration. That's interesting because it's, it's like no item has inherent value unto itself, right? Because it's exactly. not a whole part or a tight part. I don't know what would be the opposite of a loose part, meaning there's only one toy car or only one toy plane. Instead, all it, it's a great equalizer, actually, of objects because an exactly. object is only as good as your imagination will make it. And that exactly. puts the onus on the kid, not on the object itself. So Exactly. And that's one of the beauties. That's one of the beauties of loose parts that it really... The child is in charge, not the, not the object in charge of the child, which is what you see in most traditional toys. So, you know, when I think about loose parts, I do combine loose parts with, with certain what I called educational media, such mm-hmm. as blocks. So your unit blocks, I do have the dolls and the cars, which can be very um, neutral in many ways. And it can enhance the possibilities of discovery. But you don't have the one toy that you push a button, something jumps, and once you figure it out, you don't even want to play with it anymore. So it takes away that that sort of the toy controlling the child. And it puts, the, like you say, the, the 
the child is in charge of the object. And then they want to play, but then they get their fix and then they're over it because they've, you know, had it's a sort of a one and done experience versus something that's like a slow release or gradual release, right, experience. And I think also as parents, you know, it's not as if your child is talking to their friends about um, the colander that they have at home and what they do with it. (laughs) The cardboard box. Yeah. I can't wait to tell you about it. Yeah. What I would encourage parents to do is to not focus on the object again, not to say, oh, you got a box, but what are they doing with the box? Going back to that action, all of the discoveries that happened around the box. We took this box and we created this, you know, we created a castle and we spent hours outdoor playing or in the living room, we took fabric and we made it into forts. So how do we turn the conversation for our children around what they do instead of what the object is? You know what's funny? It, I'm, <laughs> I just remembered this. My parents would never buy me costumes, like for Halloween. Right. I always had to make my own. And one year, I used a box. One year I went as a crayon box because Mm -hmm. all I had available was a box. And so my head was like, I wore like a cone on my head made out of paper to be one of the crayons in that box. Um, The only problem with that costume was that I couldn't walk in it or trick or treat very well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you know what? That's, yeah, that's really interesting. But just the extent of possibilities, right? That you can, you can do with an object. And obviously I'm that's the costume I remember and I'm most proud of, right? Not something that was store-bought. So, okay, but Miriam, we're wondering, what is the experience like for you of walking into a toy store? Is it like a shop of horrors for you or uh, are you sometimes uh, <laughs> inspired by what you see? I'm selective of what I pick in stores. You know, I'm not saying don't have toys, but when you put your energy in, and money into buying really high quality items instead of a lot of these things that sort of disintegrate in three days or a week, the more that you open those possibilities of discovery and play for young children. So when I walk into a store, there are things I look for. You know, I look for the blocks. I'm, I'm a big fan of blocks. I have blocks of every type from natural natural uh, tree stamps to natural tree cookies to the real unit blocks. And I like to combine them for children. Toys are not as appealing to me. You know, there's some educational toy stores that I think have wonderful things, but I don't see the magic in it as much since I discovered loose parts. So can we ask you your thoughts on Legos? No, I knew you were going to go there. Um, First of all, I have to start by saying that I love their research that they do. The Lego Institute is fabulous, and they're constantly bringing forward. So for any family to really want to learn more is really read the research behind all the work that they do. They have done some fantastic things. Um, I don't see Legos as loose parts per se because they actually clip together and then the looseness is not there. And... But if I I do like Legos, I have to start by saying that, and I do sometimes put them in early childhood environments or ecosystems that I have worked in, but I never give the children the box so that they Mm. never have something to copy. 
Again, mm. is this idea of engaging in the imaginative process because imagination is the leading stepping stone to learning. When you have imagination, you are creative, you're innovative, and then you're willing to go further in your learning. So when you copy something, you're sort of truncating that cognitive ability for children. And I've seen my great nephew build incredible things with Legos, but they're in a big tub. You know, they're not all separated or anything. I mean, if anything, I would separate them by color because I think it's easier for children to see them that way. But I never use what's in the box because I think that's the commercialized part. It's interesting. I see it from different perspectives. There's value in exposing them to both possibilities. You can use this to construct something specific and figure out how to be precise. And then there's also value in constructing something totally new from that. I, I think when you're older, yes. When you're at a point where you're more ready to follow instructions. I'm really what's concerned. That, what's that age for you? What's that like it's magic It's about eight or eight, seven or eight you know, when they move okay. to another stage of development. I love the idea of what you're talking about. It's what I call representation. And I think children enter into inquiry as they represent items. I don't necessarily think that a young child needs to start by doing that. I think nowadays children are so pushed to follow instructions in so many different ways that they're not capable of taking an item and representing it differently. So it's sort of like limiting their thinking. Once they're older, maybe they can go in and to do and follow something. But I think what you're talking about, Jordana, is can be done in a more organic and natural way for them, where they can still use their imagination as they're sort of representing items that they're common to them in their community. I think that Jordana and I, well, the good news is that we increasingly see this philosophy on our social media. I don't know, Miriam, if sort of you've encountered this, but we do see a lot of people explaining the philosophy and and suggesting sort of that you can find these loose parts in your own home. Yeah. I guess what I'm I'm wondering is that if it's getting Frankensteined, meaning that yes, okay, yes. there's a okay, there's a practical reality for parents that there needs to be some amount of efficiency in the home. They have to get out the door in the morning, you know? And so I think that parents and, and whereas in school they're supposed to be providing these nutrient-rich environments with very intentional materials that are, you know, and that ecosystem, like that they're at least supposed to present that ecosystem. It's up to the kid to sort of do with it what they will. I'm wondering, like, are we telling parents, you know, just put out bowls from your kitchen cupboard, you know, and or what I'm seeing more on social media is, and then fill those bowls with marbles and then put those marbles in the freezer or put water and see how liquid for sensory play. And that's actually a lot of pressure on parents. It's almost like, do you hear what I'm saying? It's sort of like, absolutely. like a Lego set sounds a lot more efficient than a loose part. And easier. Totally. It's ironic, right? Uh, And it doesn't need to be like that. Unfortunately, when the first book came out in 2014, um, social media sort of went wild with them. And I sometimes avoid visiting some of the groups because I get angry. I get angry as to what you're saying, the pressure, but I also get angry as how the adult is taking control 
of what the child needs to be doing. So when I talk about loose parts, the last thing I want is for families to feel the pressure that something needs to be done in a certain way. But what I want to make it clear is that there's got to be a little bit of a level of curating. So I'll give you a few things that I that I use. One is when I select an object, like I said, I look at the affordances. Can these be used in construction? Can they be used in, in dramatic place? So think of a block, a, a unit block. You can construct with it. The children can bring cars or dolls into the space or even animals and create it into any type of habitat that they want to do it. So now you app the affordances. They can be created or to build a, something around themselves so it becomes a hiding place. So now it's another affordance. So that's the first thing that I do. And this has, this actually saves you a lot of money spending on things that you may not want to have. The other thing is I, I look at what, what I already have and what it can be combined with. You know, can I combine the pine cones that I pick up on a walk with the, with the blocks? And yes, you can. So you're now opening the possibilities of discovery. Loose parts are not for Valentine's Day. You don't need to go and find every red item or pink item that you can find. That's not the purpose. I'm just kind of curious your take on a parent's role in playing with their children. That's a whole interesting and I think a conversation for another podcast. I sometimes will enter play when I think or see that there's a need for the child to be invited into the play. But then as soon as I see the child engaged, I step back. Uh, if the child invites me to play, I also enter into the play, but I also look for that moment when I can step back. The one thing I can tell you, I avoid asking children questions when they're playing. Because we bombard them. We have such a need, and understandably so. We want our children to succeed and know their letters and their numbers. We ask them so many questions that it distracts them from the play. So one advice that I would say is don't ask a child a question if you know the answer. And this came from a very dear mentor of mine, Bear Boss. You know, because first of all, if you know the answer, why are you asking the question? Like, what wow, color is this? This is really profound, Miriam, really <sighs> profound. I've never heard it put that way, but it is, we are, it's an insult to their intelligence when we ask them a question for yep. which we already know the answer. Wow. Sorry, go exactly. ahead. Exactly. But if, even if you think about it, I mean, the children are going to look at you since you're older than I am and you don't know that this is blue. So they look it's at, at you. It's totally inauthentic. Yeah. Exactly. So what you want to do when you really, when I enter play to ask a question, because there's a moment that maybe something needs to be asked, I always look at inquiry questions. And inquiry questions are, are based in what you're noticing. So an example of an inquiry question would be something like, uh, I noticed that you've been building this tower and it always looking the same. And you may even take some photos. See, this is what I'm talking about. What else can you do to make the tower stand? That is propelling the children's thinking. And it's a more appropriate way to come into the thinking process without you putting your knowledge and your learning on them. I think before this conversation, I was talking with a friend, Marie Sykes, who's also in early childhood, and we were talking about playfulness. 
I think sometimes when you create a space where joy can emerge and playfulness can exist, to me, that's like the most powerful thing a parent or a family can do. At the end of the day, what do you want? I want children to be joyful. I want children to be playful because playfulness is really going to take them through life with more resiliency. So sometimes it's not just about the way we play, but it's how are we approaching our relationship? Are we having playful conversations with children? Are we having playful moments with them? Are we going on playful walks? Are we being authentic around them? And that is probably the biggest gift any family can give their child. That's beautiful. So those sound like closing words, but we are actually not ready to close with you just Don't yet. Close. Um, They're not we- closing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Because we uh, we like to do a final round. We call it extra credit, where we get your insights on certain topics. It's sort of like a finish the sentence style questions. If you could tell parents one thing, it would be enjoy the present with your children. Time goes by very fast. Can I add? The next one is, yeah, please, please go ahead. Uh, What I would say is don't worry about getting them ready for the next life. Worry about the today because all this readiness is not helping them. It's only hurting them. The next one is the rule of schools is to to control, to standardize children, to make everybody be the same. And what I really would like to see different is that we begin to appreciate the uniqueness of every child and that we really understand that children are children. I'm really worried and concerned about this change that I'm noticing where we keep calling children students. So it's almost like we're making childhood go away. We have an invisible childhood now. And the more that a family can do to preserve that for their children, the better the outcome in the long run. That's really interesting. You're making me think twice about, I worked for many years at an organization where we called not just children students, but we called students scholars. And obviously it was well-intentioned, right? Trying to sort of confer a, um, a level of integrity and respect and formality to sort of the academic experience they were having. But at what cost, right, um, mm-hmm. is really, you know, what you're inspiring that thought for me. Okay, so the final question is, one thing that gives you hope for the future of childhood is... The more that I talk to people that really understand childhood, when I have conversations like the one I had, or this, even this conversation where we can really talk about the hope for, the, for children today, um, I think the more we can come together as families, as educators, and we really begin to notice the importance of childhood, there will always be hope for the future. Play brings me hope. <laughs> It brings us hope Thank too. you so much for, for sharing all your insight today. We, we really You're enjoyed welcome. speaking with you. You're welcome.
And Miriam, for our listeners who want to, you know, learn more from you and sort of follow your work, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at playfultransformation.com. I have blogs and e-scenes. Well, they're not called e-scenes, but they're informational magazines that I put up periodically. And uh, they can go to Red Leaf Press to purchase the Loose Parts books. There's five now in the series, anything from infants and toddlers to preschool to cultural um, sustainability to now children with diverse abilities. Wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Silly Questions. We hope you enjoyed learning from our guests as much as we did, and we'll see you back next week. For more information on this podcast, please visit our website at nosillyquestionspodcast.com and check out our Instagram account at nosillyquestionspodcast.com.